Well, brothers and sisters, happy Sunday. You may have noticed that we are changing the worship service a little bit with feedback and input from the worship team, trying out some new things, trying to get things dialed in as we prepare for that glorious day when we get to come back together once more and fill these amazing pews with wonderful bodies here to worship God in prayer. And so as we do that, you may notice some differences, and please pray for Ben, because he has to keep up with these changes on the camera and the slides and everything else. But before I offer a word today and a sermon, let's go ahead and once more turn our hearts to God in prayer. Gracious and loving God, I pray this morning that the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts and minds will be pleasing and acceptable unto Thee, our guide and our destination. Amen. Well, it is, it is true of uh, human culture and economics that a thing, no matter what that thing is, whether it's a dollar bill or a building or a lump of gold, it's worth whatever we say it's worth. It's easy to forget that. With very, very few exceptions, we assign value to something and then we all participate in this great collective hallucination that we call the economy. Now, never forget that at the base of things, we're really just extremely talented primates on a wet rock in space. Very little is fixed. Uh, money, for example, is a, a story that we tell ourselves and that we all seem to have agreed on. Now, um, it is a collective hallucination, but the same is true of language. It's useful. What do we do without it? Even though we made it up, it's still helpful. And part of the astounding way that Jesus Christ teaches through the gospel is that he challenges these basic assumptions. Not to offer us correction or to impugn us for being wrong, but to simply get us to think a little bit, to just think about the things that we take for granted. He wants us to be intentional, intentional about the things that we value, the way that we behave, and the way that the world tells us to value things and behave. What do you give me for that? Right? That's a, the root of too many relationships in this world. If we sat down and with, a, with a, a CPA and a calculator and tried to attempt to unwind the economics of the Beatitudes that we just heard from Luke, we might say something like, well, this is a terrible business plan. This isn't going to work at all. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry and the meek and the merciful. That's, I mean, that's, that's, not, that's not even the way that we talk about blessings. How many times have you heard somebody say, <clears throat> in response to some, somebody else saying, wow, you, uh, you're doing really well for yourself, financially speaking. When they say, what do they say? Well, yes, we're, we're very blessed. We're very blessed. I don't know how that squares with the Beatitudes. That's not really what Jesus says. And then in the Bible itself, if you, if you read the thing, people who are blessed uh, in the Bible, they don't end up rich. I mean... Jeremiah was blessed by God to know the truth, and they threw him down a well. Uh, Mary, uh, the mother of God, was told that she was blessed by an angel. 
and then immediately after told her, and a sword will pierce your heart as well. I think that that's why the angel probably started with do not be afraid. Because to get a blessing did not mean that things were going to go particularly well for you in the Bible. So don't, I just encourage people, don't say blessed when what you really mean is lucky. It's okay to be lucky. In America, we, we don't like to admit that sometimes, sometimes we do have lucky occasions in our lives. It's okay. Now, I could prove this stuff um, to you with facts. I can show you Bible verses that say that, that it doesn't mean that, that rich people are somehow more blessed by God. Um, and I can prove it to you with data. I think we've talked about the lottery before, but the, the poor, consider the poor wretch that wins, actually wins the Powerball. Um, that's the worst thing that can happen to you. The, if you. If you win a major lottery, you're five times more likely to file for bankruptcy. Square that arithmetic. You're 10 times more likely to land in federal court. You're 20 times more likely to be the victim of attempted homicide. And they have, lottery winners have astronomical levels of depression, alcoholism, family estrangement, all sorts of stuff. Really, um, if you win the lottery, you should probably, the best thing you could probably do for your future is just pretend that you didn't. <laughs> I think of the lottery as a, like a little god. Um, it's easy to imagine the lottery as a deity that people worship because uh, people pray about the lottery all the time. They pray to win it. Some folks definitely tithe to the lottery. Um, and if you, get, if you somehow obtain the blessing of this God, what becomes of you? Well, I just explained. It's, it's like probably the worst thing that could ever happen to you. This is the sort of reason why I think it is safe to say that Yahweh is a jealous God. The first commandment. It's not for his sake that he's a jealous God. It's for ours. The Beatitudes today help and can help to snap us out of our worship of money and security and strength and celebrity and these sorts of things, to, but to remind us what true blessing looks like. We've all known saints in our lives, people who have either gone home, the blessed departed, and eternal rest, or those who still live today, just good people. Saints. Think of some saints, maybe, in your life. A few folks you know, you'd say, oh yeah, that is definitely a saint. And it's never because they're wealthy or rich. And it's because um, they celebrate the same things that the Beatitudes celebrate. Now, there are people who invest wisely under trees that they'll never sit. And um, those people are worthy of our praise. But for most of us, for most of us, it's enough to simply return our hearts to worshiping God instead of something else. I read something really fascinating uh, recently by a pastor um, who I don't always agree with. His name is pra Pastor Brian Zant. Um, but he's an a, he's a excellent writer, uh, and he's a very deep thinker. And he was reflecting on gun violence in America. We have this absolutely insane level of gun violence in this country. Um, th there's a relationship, statistically, between poverty and gun violence and the Beatitudes. He made this case. He writes, and I'm going to pull this apart a little bit, that, quote, if we understand the wrath of God as consequential and not retributive, 
we can speak of the plague of mass shootings in America as God's wrath judging gun idolatry. I know that you guys are going to really warm up to this wrath of God stuff. It's like super UCC friendly language. The wrath of God can be understood in a lot of different ways. But what Reverend Zand is trying to get us to see is that we tend to think of God's wrath in economic terms. Because we think of everything in economic terms. We, we might think, oh, we do X flavor of sinning, and God pays us back with X kind of smiting. But what Reverend Zant is trying to get us to understand is not so much that God's wrath is, that, that God's wrath is not retributive. It's not an economic wrath. It's consequential. It's not that if you do a certain thing that God wills a certain punishment. But it's rather that it is by the nature of the act itself, which consequently creates a natural, awful outcome. There's going to be medical professionals and nurses and doctors and other people listening to this going like, yeah, no duh, right? There are consequences for behavior. The Beatitudes today can remind us that certain conditions of being, poor, hungry, oppressed, in these places we see human consequence, not divine retribution. And that's why it's really important that we don't equate financial wealth with heavenly blessings. Okay, I'll give you a, a simpler example. Here is the wrath of driving too fast in your car. Okay, I'll explain it two ways. A person is driving too fast in their car, and when they get pulled over, they get a speeding ticket from a cop. Mmm, rats. This is retributive wrath. Man, they say, that stinks. I don't think I should get a speeding ticket. I'm going to fight this ticket. I'm going to refuse to pay it. I'm going to take it all to the courts. Okay. Because you can argue with retributive wrath. You can, you can barter with it. There's transaction. Okay, you can try your case. Here's the other wrath of driving too fast. A person is driving too fast, they get into an accident, and they wrap their car around a tree. This is consequential wrath. Okay? It's the kind of wrath that you can't argue with because it's reality. You can't argue with, with outcomes. So then if we understand that God's wrath is, isn't retributive, it's not based in economics, but rather it is by the hand of the Creator, a natural outcome of certain choices that we make with our lives, we can start to see our way of a lot of really toxic religion and dangerous idolatry because God doesn't want to bargain with us. A nation that worships firearms instead of Jesus or peace will suffer a plague of gun deaths. It's a consequence. A people that worship money rather than the Beatitudes will suffer from a plague of poverty. Worship. Right? Don't get mistaken here. I said worship because people use religious language around this stuff. I read, this, I read an editorial this week. where Somebody said, I mean, it was obviously a throwaway line, but they said, the Second Amendment is enshrined in the Constitution, our sacred founding document, and is therefore inviolable. That was one sentence, and there were four religious words in it. Just talking about a government document. Um, so what are the wages of worshiping guns? 
Now, I don't want to go on a tirade against guns. I own guns. I use guns. I shoot guns. I like shooting guns. It's fun. I, uh, <laughs> I do also operate under the perhaps naive assumption that the authors of the United States Constitution called it an amendment because they expected it to be occasionally amended. Um, so when we use the language of the sacred to describe things that are secular, we are missing the Jesus message. And the same is true of wealth. No, now, to be clear, nowhere does Jesus say that money is evil. It's not in the book. It, money's not evil, but it can create problems. He wants us to understand, and Paul, later writing, wants to make it clear that it's our relationship with money, the nature of our relationship with money, that can make us sick. And the Beatitudes cut right to the heart of this. The worship of mammon, the worship of money, well, what becomes of a nation that practices that? I think more than probably they might start to believe that wealthy people are more important than poor people. They might think that mammon has blessed rich folks, and so we should show them deference. Maybe that a poor person is worth less to God than a rich person. What an obscene thing to believe, and absurd. That the best thing that could happen for our children is that they grow up to be rich. I promise you, that is not the case. Jesus knows that there are a lot of very tempting gods out there in the world. Each of them's got their own little scriptures and their own uh, worships. Mm. Folks that Jesus says worship money, he says what becomes of them is that they devour widows' houses and they will receive the greater condemnation. There are causes that are worth fighting for. Um, we honor our veterans in church because there were, uh, we, we honor our veterans and celebrate their service, not out of a sense of misplaced nationalism or civic religion, but because the 20th century occasioned great sacrifice to defeat some very evil powers, gods like fascism, powers like fascism, powers that are even now gathering new acolytes. Thank God for the Beatitudes, and thank God for Jesus' message that reminds us of what is truly important. The value of your soul is not transactional. And God doesn't want to bargain with you. God simply wants you to understand that you are so incredibly precious to God. You specifically, you individually, are so precious to God that God chose to put on flesh, walk the earth, suffer unthinkable pain and humiliation, and ultimately defeat death itself in order to save it. That's how valuable soul is to God. And the other little gods out there, Mammon, Moloch, Lottery, you're disposable to them. And they might give you a certain thrill for a moment, the feeling you get holding a gun, the feeling you get purchasing a lottery ticket, as though you somehow have power over the forces of life and death. But it's a bad bargain. It's a bad bet. Whatever you have, kindred, that is good, that is precious, that's marvelous, honorable, Give it to God. Give it over to God, the movement of Jesus Christ in the world. If you have a song to sing, sing it for God. If you have some power to liberate, do it in service to God. If you have a word to preach, a job to do, 
Do you spend your days mending broken things, helping people find what they need? Do it simply to honor God. Give every day over to God as a gift from your heart and return for God's immeasurable love of your soul, not because you will receive some sort of transactional blessing, but because by doing so, you will live a life for the ages. You are so precious to God that you can't even begin to imagine it. And so worship God and God alone. And treasure God above everything else. He says where your treasure is, there your heart will be, right? Worship God, saints, for that is the very luminous glory and purpose of your life on earth. Amen.